So, Dad, mm-hmm. I'm starting a podcast with a friend of mine. What's that? Uh, it's basically like a radio show, but it's on okay. the internet. Okay. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects, and uh, you're not impolite to people. Oh, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial. Or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't really believe me, do you? Oh, yeah. You don't. <laughs> Welcome to Polite Conversations with Ina and Paul. We promise this to be a place where there will be nothing controversial ever discussed by anyone about anything. Sex? Nope. Politics? Definitely not. Religion? Are you kidding me? You get a female ex-Muslim together who happens to be a minority with a white ex-military ex-Christian American male and watch the magic happen. Polite Conversations with Ina and Paul. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome listeners to Polite Conversations with Ina and Paul. Ina, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited. This time around, we have Connor Habib, a writer, a lecturer, and sex worker advocate. I think we're going to have a pretty good uh, polite conversation. I sure hope so. (laughs) We'll see. With that stellar introduction, let's get you over to our interview with Connor. Today with us, we have Connor Habib who's a writer, lecturer, and sex worker advocate. His writing has appeared in Vice, Slate, and Salon. He has appeared in nearly 200 adult scenes and is the vice president of the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee, which works to improve the experiences, safety, and health of porn performers. And he gives talks about sexuality, sex and culture, and pornography around the world. Hi, Connor. Hi. Hey, Thank Connor. you so much for joining us today. I know it was a was a bumpy road to get here. <laughs> it really was. So some background on this. Connor and I uh, met on Twitter virtually, and we did not start off well. Wait, are you saying somebody didn't get along with you on Twitter, Ina? <laughs> it's true. I mean, how I don't know how this keeps happening over and over again. Oh, I've got ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, we yelled and fought with each other, and I think Connor blocked me. I did not block you. <laughs> and then he unblocked me somehow, and then we started talking and became friends, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost. I think it's probably worth going into why we why we went at each other first because it's so um, related to topics that you talk and think about. So basically I had live tweeted watching the unbelievers, um, this documentary about Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss. And, um, I live tweeted it cause I am not a fan, um, particularly of Dawkins. I don't, I know much really? less about Krauss. I did not notice that. I'm totally, <laughs> totally shocked by that revelation. <laughs> right. And so, um, so, so we didn't know each other. So I know like somehow found I don't know how you found it but like came across my Twitter feed and then sort of started pulling apart some of the things I said and then it got like heated and a, a lot of people started piling on me because of those comments and then and then people who followed me started you know sort of fighting back and in the meantime what it ended up was I and I started sort of talking in the background in DMs while all the fighting was going on that we inspired. And we... (laughs) It was a Twitter uh, follower (laughs) face-off. It was. And so, um, but but basically it was, you know, me trying to sort of explain my position, why this was so, why Dawkins in particular, but some of the stuff in that movie was so problematic to me where I was coming from because I have a science background um, and where she was coming from because she has a background defending LGBT people, um, defending sexual, like people's uh, you know, right to sexuality, their own sexuality and sexual autonomy and all that sort of stuff. And we're just like, wait, actually, like under normal circumstances, we would think that we were awesome. But it was just because it's like one contentious thing came up. Right. Um, and so... But that to me is really telling because it's like 
there's so much um, intense feeling around religion. You know, around religion and in, in my case, um, around sort of scientific beliefs and that sort of stuff. Um, sorry, I know beliefs is not perhaps the right word here, but around um, scientific worldviews. And so I think, and, and, and who gets caught in the crossfire and what kinds of conversations are being maybe blocked or cut off and who might be allies and against fundamentalisms. Right. And I, I think it's interesting because you're right. Under other circumstances, I think we could be, and, you know, we possibly can be now, uh, great friends and hang out at, you know, if we were to meet at a party, we'd have a great time, I think, as long as religion didn't come up, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, I think, I assume you consider yourself a liberal, right? Well, I I would not. I would not call myself a liberal. I would say that I'm not even a leftist. I don't like oh, any of those. I don't like any of those terms. I am so on beyond all of that that it doesn't <laughs> that I don't I don't like those I don't like those words. Um I mean, I think I think, you know, just to clear something up and and maybe this is like meat for a discussion between us cuz my thing was not really about religion in criticizing that movie. Um, it actually was about not thinking that Richard Dawkins is a rigorous thinker or very scientific in his thinking. Um, that really was my issue. And of course I was making dumb jokes. Like it wasn't all serious. It was not serious critique. It was sort of like, I know who follows me. I know like what a lot of them think. I, I know where a lot of them are. A lot of it was just sort of like, you know, joking and nudging to the choir and the people that, you know, are sort of on board with where I'm at. But, you know, when it comes to religion, and I think that, you know, as you and I started talking more and elaborating, I think, again, we agree a lot there, especially with how religion plays out um, for people's lives and people's freedom and so, um, and, and individualities. And so I just wanted to sort of get into that a little bit because my problem with Dawkins and some of these people is really their views on science, not their views on religion. But I mean, I, I've seen you tweet about other atheists too. It seems like there's um, some hard feelings or misunderstandings or dislike um, towards other atheists. You, yeah, you've even said, Connor, I've seen in your timeline that you've even said that, um, you know, trying to take a progressive view on atheism, that that's a great thing, but that we need to find new spokespeople. Please feel free to come at me because, I mean, not not in a mean way, although <laughs> no, if you want to do that, could, do that. But, this is but polite conversations. Like, we're not going to come. This is called polite conversations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need, to be, I need to be pushed more because I'm not, I don't have these kinds of conversations in, enough, right. right? And so I'm not, I don't have anything, you know, I'm not afraid to have a conversation with people who are genuinely interested in having a conversation, right? So I, um, yeah, I mean, there are lots of atheists that I am really invested in their work, um, and I think that they're amazing, and some of them are alive, some of them are dead. Um, it could be Jacques Lacan, the French psychoanalyst. It could be um, who's dead. It could be Camille Paglia, the um, art theorist and feminist, or it could be one, you know some of my best friends are atheists, which is but a joke. But are these but people that don't challenge religion head on? They they do, but it's not their main. It's often not their main task in the sense of, it's not like you have. Um, I'm trying to think of a really good one. It's not like you have Sam Harris, right? Because it, because even with Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss and Daniel Dennett, they have other huge projects that they're working on. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of like the atheism is almost eclipsed those when it comes to the public eye. But when because it, when, I think it shows how much uh, it's needed, like how well people respond to it. There's a lot of people that have been feeling isolated and alienated, and in need of uh, seeing religion discredited. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think that there are enough voices doing that out there. And that's why I think I agree with you as well that it maybe not uh, replace the old voices, but add to them as well. We definitely need more women, more uh, people of color, for sure. Um, that, that a hundred percent, I feel like a diversity in atheist voices, not, and also atheists, <laughs> the, the kinds of faces we're seeing yeah. latest atheism are really crucial. You know, I don't, my, I mean, my main teacher in life, my main teacher, like my main mentor, the one I was closest to, who was like my second mother was an atheist, um, a very distinguished scientist named Lynn Margulies, who she 
was a biologist, microbiologist, a geoscientist, and she um, discovered that our cells are symbiotes, well, proved basically that our cells are symbioses of different kinds of bacteria. She was mar married to Carl Sagan for a long time, so I'm really good friends with their son, Dorian Sagan. I mean, that community and, and her view on these things were, to me, much more nuanced, much more profound, much more um, interesting. And her science was right. Um, in a way that Dawkins and science, to me, is not correct. See, we'll get to that. That's a very yeah. interesting point you make. So I want women, I want women to have more of a place in this. Now, let me full disclosure: I'm not an atheist. So, oh, I, I, I gathered. <laughs> you know, you, you know that, right? And so, I'm not trying to hide here. I just wanted to say that, so it didn't seem like I was trying to hide behind, like, oh, I just want like cooler, hipper atheists. But by the way, I'm not really an atheist. Like, I'm, I'm not. However. Um, the atheist perspective, um, in many ways, has been the perspective of my main teachers and, and many of my main teachers in life. And so I have so much value and respect for it. It's just that um, it doesn't completely fill out my my system and my perspective of the world. But it's interesting when you say that Dawkins, uh, you know, your critique of him is a science based, which I haven't. I've I've heard so many people hate on Dawkins before. Uh -huh. <laughs> for so many reasons, right? And I, it doesn't, you know, he's not really my prophet or anything. Like people like to lay this charge on a lot of atheists that, oh my gosh, you guys worship these people just like they were your gods or prophets. So it doesn't bother me at all that people, uh, you know, hate on him or criticize him. Sure, but I, I just am bothered when the criticisms towards anyone are unfair uh, because mm. I, I like that. So, you know, okay, fine. You were making fun of... Uh, I don't know whether he has sex or not or uh, crosses shoes. Sure, those are small things, but there are other charges laid on him like he's a complete racist or uh, mm. whatever, which I uh, I disagree with. Sure, I've heard him say things on Twitter that I find uh, to be bigoted sometimes, and uh, I won't agree with him 100% all the time, but to call him a flat-out racist I think reduces the meaning of the word like we've seen this mm. a lot, like with people laying the charge of racism on others for anything. I've been called a racist. I've been called a white supremacist just for criticizing the religion that I was born into. So, you know, I, I don't want to see that word reduced to nothing because it, it's an important word. And when someone is a racist, I want it to mean something. I don't want just every other person to be called a racist. Am I making sense? <laughs> yeah, to totally. And I think that we live in a time, especially like on Twitter and social media, we encounter something which is like, it really is a religious culture of social justice in a lot of ways where <laughs> it is based on principles of purity. Like we need to expunge any sort of anything that looks challenging to us on any of these levels. Like I, I think it, it, it's almost like a purity culture in some ways. Yeah. And I find that highly problematic. Yeah. Um, however, let me just sort of step back and say, I can't remember if I've ever called Dawkins a racist. Maybe I did in that thread. Maybe I didn't. I'm not sure. I, I don't keep track of I wasn't of, speaking about other, you specifically, but I am. Um, no, but it's, it's certainly possible that I've said that. In the bit. Let, let me just say, like, <laughs> I grant that I might have said that. Let me tell you where I think that some of that is coming from and why I think um, there's, uh, it, even if it's not exactly the way we would say a skinhead is racist or someone in the KKK is racist, it does brush against these things. You know, even when we take this sort of atheist movement back to Bertrand Russell, who is a pacifist, um, who's really a foundation for a lot of thinking of these uh, sort of figureheads of atheism right now, he supported colonialist wars. He was a pacifist except for colonialist wars, mm -hmm. which he sort of came up with this weird, backwards, crazy straw logic about how, like, well, it ends up being, like, really great for all of us. You right, know, it's, like, right. it's sort of... And I think that I think that what people are encountering is um, we have to look at that in context of the times he was in as well. Right? Hundred hundred percent. Although he he did stand up against a lot of other things that, in the context of his time, you know, he was sure, ahead of his time. We don't know what exactly we're going to see as wrong and not wrong in when we compare it to the morals of today. Right, like you're you're right. I'm just sort of like I'm starting what I'm saying from him, right? Mm -hmm. So so I think when it comes to Dawkins, Harris, these sort of people, there's there's an idea 
and, and a sense that there's an extension of a colonialist project going on. And I do think that that's true. Now, I do I like think that's that, a bit conspiracy theorist? Isn't <laughs> it? Like, I don't think they're all. What do you think together, their end right? goal is? Like to just westernize everyone and eradicate? Uh, I don't mm. know brown cultures or. No, I don't think it's. First of all, I don't think that they have their finger on the you know button of the bomb or anything like that. And I don't think that it's necessarily conscious. There are maybe some people that <laughs> maybe it's a little more conscious than others, but I don't, but let me just say like, I don't think, I don't necessarily even think that colonialism and racism, I mean, these are different currents of problem as well. So we, so we should first separate that out. They overlap in a lot of ways, but they're different currents. But I also think that what people are seeing is this, or what people are getting is a sense that the extension of that project is happening in a lot of these thinkers because it, it is, there is a lot of rhetoric that seems like that. And it's difficult to untangle that. So when but you say, even when I, it's not like that, people turn it into that, like say mm -hmm. me challenging the niqab, which is the face veil. So many people have come at me and say that I'm some pro-imperialist person that wants to, uh, you know, get rid of uh, brown people's cultural dresses. And well, it's anybody, anybody who's not a Muslim or has never been a Muslim is misstepping in saying that to you because... What about Muslims who are using that as cover to say that to me? Yeah. Well, I can't... Again, I can't really speak to that. Like, I, I can speak to the people who aren't because that's... I'm, I'm not, I've never been Muslim. I wasn't raised Muslim. I am not, you know, I'm, I'm half Arab, but that's it. So, um, but I, but what I'm trying to say is like, you have a right to say that. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you have a, you have a right to like speak out against Absolutely, all of that. I think so. And that somebody wants to remove that from you is itself in some bizarre way, a colonialist project. You have the right to say that my stance on this is like, you know, if you're not a Muslim, like, listen to Muslims and ex-Muslims and their discussion and let, you know, whatever the truth is rise out of that discussion, mm -hmm. not impose However, it However, the majority outside. amongst us is Muslim. So those are the people getting the platforms, the voices, uh, the solidarity. Everyone's like, oh, let's wear a hijab for a day, solidarity. Like, these are the things that have, and symbols that have oppressed us for decades. So that's hardly a show of solidarity, you know, when women are lashed for not wearing a hijab. It's really weird to see in the West that it's become like a symbol of solidarity. Sure, I understand that bigots on the street will rip women's hijabs off and I can't, you know, uh, stand that either. But I don't think that we need to don a misogynistic symbol to show that uh, we're anti-Muslim bigotry, you know? It's it's very – yes, I – I agree with you in a lot of ways. I, my friends with Mona El Tahawi wrote the book Headscarves and Hymens, which mm -hmm. is very, you know, very she critical. A lot of hate from totally. these hijabi Muslims, by the way, who are all about intersectional feminism otherwise because they feel that that's the only way their brand of, you know, quote unquote feminism uh, can be included because their feminism works within the framework of the religion that is already provided to them. So headscarves and all of that is part of their feminism. Something I take from her and, and sort of going into what you just said, something I take from her is that it's not that it's not necessarily my place to decide what's right and what's wrong within no, Muslim. But I'm within minorities. Like it's not, I can say I'm yeah. gay. So it's not really my place to speak out against homophobes. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, no, you could say that you're not gay, so it's not your place to speak out against gay marriage, which there is a lot of debate about that within the gay community. Mm -hmm. However, the queer community, which has been pretty vocal against gay marriage within the gay community, right, right. Um, but if the gay doesn't get doesn't get any support from any sort of mainstream voice. So what what I think my job is to do, and one of the reasons why I'm happy in having this discussion with you, is to allow and sort of empower more place for voices mm. that are critical of that within that community. So at least there's some chance of equal footing. Like I can't I, I can't say right or wrong, but I feel like your voice and the voices of people that are critical of it within that community are being 
drowned out mm-hmm. simply by numbers, if nothing else, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's that, there's that aspect to it. And that's something Mona really taught me. It was like, you, you know, you don't have to jump in and like do anything in our argument and prove who's right or who's wrong, but give me space to say yeah, this, you I, know? I appreciate that. But yeah. then I think, um, this is why movies like the unbelievers have been so important to me, mm-hmm. even though you, you know, from your perspective, you've grown up, I'm assuming in the States and yes. had freedom generally to do whatever. Um, there was nothing for me. There's been no one in my corner to challenge religion, which right. I've felt has been oppressing me a lot. Even though my family's really liberal, it's not them that, uh, you know, have imposed religion on me. I grew up in Saudi Arabia, so it was the state that imposed it on me. And uh, just even liberal religiosity feels like an imposition to me. And there yeah. has been nothing and no one. I mean, my disbelief has been challenged all the time and laughed at and mocked. But I cannot have that same right. So I feel like voices that are becoming larger and larger, like Sam Harris, Dawkins, they play that role of maybe mainstreamizing that conversation, which has never been done for especially Muslim dissenters. So I appreciate them in that regard. However, I do think that they have a lot to learn uh, about uh, speaking on Islam from ex-Muslims so that they don't repel certain groups of people because sometimes they are blunt, sometimes they don't understand it as well, or they may say something that uh, that upsets people uh, simply out of not knowing how to speak about the subject, but I do see them ultimately as allies. I really appreciate what you're saying in the sense that I can view them as a sort of gateway drug to right. Right. You know, But in a positive sense, of course. I just want to address that atheism or religious belief or whatever, or freedom of speech, a lot of different sort of principles and perspectives. I mean, the context surrounding them is important. Being an atheist in Saudi Arabia is far more radical than being an atheist in New York City, right? Yeah. It's like... And I don't, I don't. New York City, once upon a time, it wasn't so easy to be an atheist. No, you're you're absolutely right. But I'm just talking about right now, right? Yeah. So in the context of my viewing of a movie about Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss, my critique is not a critique of ex-Muslims fight against their governments and so, but, but I think that that actually gets conflated, maybe not by you, but I think that that gets conflated by people sometimes. It's like in the context of, in the different context, this movie has a different meaning than it does to you. And I, and I value the way you talk about these people. I value that. And I think that that's really important. Yes. I I, I value your openness to have these discussions. So I think that's, that's great that we're coming at it from such opposing angles and able to have a productive discussion about it. It's I think amazing, that's what, isn't it? What, it? what an example it can set for so many people. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> usually people just hate on each other and yeah. that's the end of the conversation. That's what happened with us initially, right? You throw <laughs> verbal grenades and then you move on to the next target. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you wanted to be pushed. I read your article that you wrote in Vice about the LGBT community kind of recreating Christian theology. And I would love for you to be able to kind of educate our listeners on that. So help us understand, please, because I don't get it. I read the article uh, and it looked like this this group (laughs) was trying to reframe an ideology which had condemned, damned, ostracized them for 2,000 years, and they were reframing it in a way that made it safe and cuddly for them so they could so they could embrace the, the very things in that ideology that they could get outside of the ideology. So if you could talk to that article, right. and then what, what utility does it have for any LGBT member to reframe any religion in such a way what does that do for that individual right so before i before you go back on let me just say one thing which is that i reported on that that's okay. not necessarily my take on it gotcha. so okay. i can I'll, I'll speak to it but i just want you to know that as i go no thank you it. thank okay. you um okay so so something to keep in mind is that even 
people who are sort of hardcore atheists, a lot of them say that religion is, or, or belief in some way, is sort of, quote-unquote, hardwired into our system, right? Or you could go to other atheists who are not, you know, evolutionary biologists like Freud, who said the same thing. Um, you could go into uh, a, a lot of places that say, you can't really get away from this impulse. It's part of being human. It's just how you sort of deal with it and move around with this impulse, how you sort of shift it in your life. So there are groups of you know, um, LGBT people who do something called queer theology, which is looking into religion for a sort of literary um, lesson. Like uh, Marxists will sometimes do this with Christianity as well. They'll say, look, what does it mean that this person who ended up leading this huge group of people was a poor carpenter who gave himself up to the poor to be killed by the government? What does that mean? Um, and of course, look, we can take a lot of interpretations of that if we want. I don't right. want to get into the various, like, right. well, it could also mean, you know, like, I, I'm just saying this is, this is some of the work that's being done um, to sort of roll with this fact that, and again, a lot of scientists and psychologists and psychiatrists, et cetera, believe that this is true or understand this is true, that you can't get away from religious impulse entirely. You have to do something with it, just as you have to do something with hunger or lust or other aspects of being human, that for some reason... Do you think the impulse isn't really religious impulse, maybe just a tribal uh, connectivity kind of thing? Because Yeah, maybe. I see a lot of people getting away from religion without any problems, but needing to connect with another community. I think we're just communal beings, right? and uh, we get a sense of completion when we you know, hang out with other people who think like us or believe in the same thing or don't believe in the same things as us. Uh, it might be tribal or it might be... So I can't be, see the comparison of a religious impulse with like, what was it that you compared it? Lust or... Like some sort of, some, some sort of drive. I mean, that's not... I don't not, see it as so natural. I feel like it's completely manufactured. Here's, here's the thing. I don't see it that way either. I'm speaking to the idea that people are sort of rolling with religion. I mean, I, you'll have to look into the evolutionary yeah. biologists that say religion is a function of, you know, an evolutionary development. You know, I mean, if you want to. And again, I'll say that that's probably they, they're referring to tribalism. I can see that. Like they, they, they might be. I would take a sort of more psychoanalytic view because I do have some understanding of psychoanalysis, which is that. Um, we all experience uh, something, especially in Western culture, I can't speak to every culture, but we experience a sort of lack, uh, a missingness in our lives. And that missingness is always there as a longing. Um, and so a lot of people try to fill that longing with God because it's a sort of good fit for that space because, right, because you're constantly longing for something you can't encounter. So you feel comfortable that's with not longing. not necessarily, again, a religious thing. You can fill it with no. art. You can fill it with whatever. Exactly. Some people fill it with drugs, sex, whatever. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I just think, I'm just telling you, you know, so trying to go through some of the theories of why people have religious longings and why right. a group like an LGBT or queer group would try to do something with the Bible, even though it's might have been historically used to oppress them in right. their lives. Um, I, it, it's sort of a conscious subversion of the impulse. Like, well, I was wounded by religion, but I still, for some bizarre reason, have this impulse. So let me do something with That's it. That's really interesting. Okay. The way yeah. that you put it. I don't. I don't feel that way. Um, <laughs> I was raised, by the way, a spiritually, completely a spiritually. I had the freedom to interact with religion however I wanted. My mother. Um, my, my father's from Syria, from a little village in the mountains of Syria um, that was sort of Christian slash gypsy supernatural. <laughs> and my mother was raised by fundamentalists. So she was essentially atheistic. I mean, she wasn't she wasn't anti-theistic, but she didn't care. You mm -hmm. know, she was into philosophy. So she, you know, she took me to a bunch of churches. She's like, do you like any of these? Do you not like any of these? What do you think? And out of that, you know, my interest in any sort of spiritual stuff um, grew out of a complete place of freedom. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing that wasn't free was the surrounding community where I grew up in small town Pennsylvania, which was in, in some ways fundamentalist, um, definitely anti-gay, racist, all that kind of shit. Right. And so it was against that backdrop. But within the home, at least, I was, I was pretty free to pursue however I wanted. So that to me was a great 
um, fortune. You know, I mean, I'm very lucky to not have been violated by religion as a child, as many people are. Mm -hmm. yeah. However, like the scriptures still exist. Like you can see the misogyny <laughs> and the homophobia totally. there, right? So yeah. it's and not on board with any of it, obviously. And that's amazing. But <laughs> what I, I think and what I don't understand and what I think Paul is trying to understand, and you explained it really well by saying there's a desire to fill something, there's a longing, and people fill that with God sometimes. And I see that in the Muslim uh, community too, like with LGBT Muslims, they need the space to 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 connect to their past in, in form of religion while still ex like while still expressing their sexuality. And it doesn't necessarily fit because the two things are in such opposition, especially in Islam, because it hasn't been defanged or, uh, you know, watered down in any way. Like the homophobia is still very much at the surface. Well, and that's why I didn't understand. That's why I could not get the utility out of that article, Connor, was because it didn't seem, just like you're saying, Ina, you can't serve two masters, for lack of a better way to put it, and, and have, I don't see how you can have that cognitive peace. You can't ever achieve that. One's got to give away to the other. Yeah, you let go. And because all of those things that that reframed Christian theology would provide to them, they could find amongst... Uh, like you were saying earlier, a group of like-minded individuals. They no, don't... sure they can, but what I'm saying is that if it, sometimes it's so hard to let something unravel to that extent, something that has been a part of your life. Like not everyone can take that leap. And uh, instead of I, I come across a lot of people on Twitter that always say like you can't be gay and Muslim, you know you should be one or the other. And either that's coming from Muslim bigots who are saying you can't be gay and Muslim, so stop being Muslim, or anti-Muslim bigots want to say that because people are gay, because they might have more liberal beliefs, they are no longer Muslim. So only the most horrible, hardline fundamentalists are the people they will identify as Muslim, and that way they are justified to hate all Muslims. And I think both angles are ridiculous because we need to give people space to question and to be on their own times. It may not uh, make sense, perhaps, and it right. doesn't make sense to me. Either. Let me, yeah, let me reframe what you said in a, in, a, in another way too. It's not it's it breaking from the system happens for some people, right? Like, so you guys are atheists, you have this sort of break where you're allowed to just sort of step outside and be like, you know, fuck that. Like, I'm not into it anymore, you know, <laughs> right. and have this like, but for, but for some people, for whatever reason, it could be family, personal, cultural, it could be law. Mm -hmm. It's not so easy to break from that yeah. tradition. So for instance, I think a really great example is talking about money, our economic system, capitalism. There are people who say, I'm a Marxist within a capitalist system. However, like they still go and buy their shit from Amazon, right? Because oh, yeah. it's not so easy to just go grow your broccoli in the backyard. Yeah. Like, you can't you can't do all of it. It's like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to plant a seed in myself that allows me to start moving away from this belief system. However, I'm still entrenched in it. It's not so easy to give it up. So I'm going to have to roll with it, work with it in one way or another. And I think that that's like that's what's happening for a lot of people. Okay. It's like I'm 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 still bound to this and I would maybe like to be free of it, but I don't exactly know how. Yeah. And right. for some people, you really do, especially people who are truly deeply wounded, the wound is the break for them. They're like, I'm so wounded. Fuck this. I'm out of here. A lot of people aren't that wounded. A lot yeah. of people can't have that traumatic break. Or which they're in some even ways, more wounded and it's... Yeah, right. Them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's an individual, it's an individual experience, right. you know, and, and let me say, you know, it's something else I learned from, from knowing a lot about sex, from doing a lot of studies on sex and history and sex and culture. So the default, the default, uh, approach to sex in almost any culture at this point is fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. We have fundamentalist views as a default way of viewing sex. It's very hard for people to view sex in a reasonable way. So even if I talk to people who are atheists, who don't believe in God, who whatever, like who have like don't believe in art artificial arbitrary moral systems, I might say to them, you know, okay, so are, do, you know, do you feel okay having this many sexual partners? Do you feel okay being non-monogamous? Do you feel okay um, 
you know, doing S&M sexual acts? Do you feel okay? And a lot of them might recoil and be like, no, you know, they might say that there's something wrong with that because it takes a lot of deprogramming to see something in a reasonable way that doesn't have a supporting, um, dying shibboleth of moral of arbitrary morality hanging off of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) right it's very difficult so even if you're reasonable in some ways you might not be reasonable in others and so religion does that unfortunately at least that's the way i see it it makes you put aside some reasonableness in some some instances you can't i don't know like my doctor always had had a cross in his office and i love him he's a great doctor (laughs) but i'm like how 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 are you putting the your belief in the supernatural aside and then you know being (laughs) all sciencey it's it it doesn't make sense to me but as an outside like because i'm so outside of it now i do want i am all for giving people the space to be their separate you know components of whatever makes up their identity and I don't think it's anyone else's place to tell people what they can and can't be but from the outside this makes very little sense Do you You think that if you're a marginalized population that plays into it and I ask that question for a reason I try to I try to be very empathetic with everyone. So when I, going back to this article of yours, Connor, I tried to put myself in the shoes of the folks that you were highlighting. And it, I mean, I, I've got it good. I'm a white, straight male in America. I've got it pretty damn good. So if there were any institution that ever rejected me because of who I was, the last thing I would do is embrace any ideology they have and then try to reframe it to be copacetic with the way I wanted to see the world or the way I did see the world. So maybe that's where I'm missing it. And a lot of our listeners may miss it is because we, a lot of us, a lot of my, especially on my show, a lot of my listeners are white men. Is that, does that play into it? Okay. So, so let me just, let me just say that I, I, hear what you're saying, but I also think if we look a little more into that, that I wouldn't necessarily believe what you're saying. Okay. And what, what, let, me, let me tell you what I mean. I think we all have fundamentalism, mentalism, fundamentalism like woven into us in one way or another, right? So on the one hand, you're saying I don't have, I mean, I realize that you're talking sort of specifically about religion in this case, that you wouldn't sort of try to weave in a belief system that was oppressive to you in a way that you agree with. However, most people, even straight white men, have jobs that they go to and sometimes work 70 hours a week. Um, Sometimes people... Uh, or, or, or the sexual component I talked about before. A lot of times we do try, and and work can be so damaging to this to the to the psyche, can be damaging to the body. More people die from work related injuries, and then work related illnesses, and then work, and then they have work related injuries. You know, this insane amount of people, and then dying on the way to work, on the way back to work. This this whole system of work is so damaging to people, and yet we've completely internalized and woven that into the way that we think, well, I have to go to work. I have to work well, for a living. Well, that's it sustains us like, physically. We don't really have a choice. Well, right, but isn't that interesting? We, we might actually have an option if we decided collectively, well, I don't want to work anymore. Oh, I don't want to work well, anymore. Well, collectively, work. yeah, but how – I mean, you've seen the human race. We're a terrible bunch. We can't get along. We can't collectively decide anything, really. No, I, I, I agree with you, but what I'm addressing is that this is, again, a collective, like religion, is a collective problem that's really damaging to human beings in a lot of ways, right? But we don't go against that because it's such an embedded fundamentalism that we even say obscene things like, I have to work for a living. Well, no, you really don't. It's just that somehow we've all bought into this idea that we have to do that. Right. But really, we could do things collectively differently. So what I'm pointing out by bringing all this up to you Uh, in response to your question is that I think we all have belief systems that we absorb and are so embedded in us that we can't even imagine a world without them. So go then, take that, find that in yourself, and look at someone who's experiencing this religious trap. Maybe you've gotten out of that one. 
But they're experiencing that in the same way that you're experiencing whatever fundamentalism it is that you can't sort of get out of, that you keep brushing up against, that is imp almost impossible for you to leave or even imagine what it would be like to leave that. That's how, what a lot of people are experiencing. That's and, an interesting way to put it. Yeah, I love um, that. But and I so, do think there should be a distinction between physical things and like things that are in our head, you know, like um, yeah. this work thing. Uh, is physical and we're trapped by the work week like physically we're by our bills our houses our mortgages this religion thing is mostly um what we're told to believe there's nothing physical there's no god that's going to come down and strike us dead if we're not going to do it or <laughs> right but the state will in some cases right like you said the state yes. that's inspired by religion in certain countries yes. will come and kill you yes, right in those countries but let's say here and and in and in and okay, but let me just say, like in the Soviet Union, if you didn't work, <laughs> like that would work was pretty much the stand-in for God in that place. Like you'd be fucked, right? Like if you weren't working for the state. I mean, it is here too, right? right? North America, a little bit. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, it's just that you passively starve to death. You know, it's not no. they they don't come in like, but they will take your house. They will yeah. like kick you out on the street. They will take yeah. your health insurance away. I mean, I, I do see it. I do see. I see what you're saying. I just see them as two different. It's an interesting way of framing it, but I see a distinction between I, the physical and the non-physical. I see it. I see it too. I see that there's a distinction between the things I'm saying. It's not an exact analogy, right? And we can pick apart the analogy as much as we want. I'm just trying to sort of talk about the way we experience our belief and relation to something. And some people are experiencing a connection to religion that is as strong as some of the things that we feel and take for granted. Yeah. And, and I think that that's to, what's happening. That's hard and, to understand for people on the outside, I think. It, it's, it's really hard. And it's especially, I think, hard for people that have left in a way mm -hmm. when they haven't left slowly or gradually when they've left through yeah. a break. Yeah. There are people that can lead through a path. These are the things that you can do to start. And I, I, and I wish that that were part of the atheist discussion more because I think that that would be brilliant. These are steps you can take to gradually get out of this mindset. I Not, think it is. I mean, there's a lot of ex-Muslims and stuff that are helping are. other people questioning. It's just that these voices need to be given more platforms. They're not. Especially ex-Muslims are drowned out and silenced, as you can just tell from me telling you how many times this podcast <laughs> has been. Um, my fa Facebook yeah. was suspended twice because people don't want me saying anything. Meanwhile, neo-Nazi accounts are alive and well. ISIS accounts are alive and well it's, that that's that's absolutely crazy i mean you can't you like they, facebook removed two guys kissing from yeah. facebook right but like would leave neo-nazi accounts yeah. or like you're saying isis accounts that's yeah. like yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. crazy and um i remember you made such an interesting point when we had our little pre-chat when we were speaking about the um the idea of Muslims and ex-Muslims uh, challenging from within the community and how it's different uh, when people challenge from outside, uh, like when you were talking about Dawkins and Harris, and then you made an, a connection to the sex work industry where um, when people challenge from within, uh, it's different when, uh, say, someone anti-sex worker will say the same point, but it will have a more malicious undertone to it. Right. Remember having that conversation? Yeah, I think that was really an interesting yeah. one. Because what I said, and again, it's a bit, it's it, it is different in these two communities. What I'm, what I would do is for hours, like I'll talk to some sex worker who disagrees with me. I'll go at it for a really long time. If some like dumb anti-sex work feminist shows up and is like, oh, and you guys are all being coerced and like blah, blah, blah. I'll be like, just you're a bigot. I have no time for you, mm -hmm. right? That's within my community versus without my community. Mm -hmm. The responsibility I have. However, it is a little different for you because the people that you're fighting with in your community have such a drastic, uh, there, there might be a drastic difference in power, right? So someone who is uh, a Muslim but is like, you know, has all kinds of state and police power behind them arguing with you. That's not a lateral conversation. Yeah. That's you talking to power. Whereas for me in the sex work community, it's pretty much lateral. Yeah. You know? So it, it is a little different, but I think that you could say, okay, maybe 
I'll have a conversation with a Muslim who's not, who just is like hanging out with their family, who disagrees with me. I might get into it with them for a long time, but I'm not, I'm not going to entertain someone who has a shitload of money, like fighting against and power fighting against me. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think that maybe that's that's where the importance of recognizing intent comes in. And I, I'm just going to read a tweet of yours that I read. Uh, (laughs) It says Dawkins, Harris, and Marr are as responsible for oh. violence against innocent Muslims and Arabs <laughs> as Donald Trump. Same <laughs> sentiment, same hate. Uh huh. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I just think that there are very different groups here, and we need to really um, make that distinction. I, I can clearly see the difference between Dawkins's critique, Harris's and Harris's, and then Donald Trump's on the other side. And and truly, you don't see that? No. Well, it's, it's funny because I was thinking, gosh, like, I wonder if like the people listening to this are really like, you know, down with what I'm saying right now. And then I, and then when you read that, I was like, okay, now, now they're all gone, but it's it's fine. I said it, I said it. I have to stand by what I say. I, or, or, or drop what I say because it's unreasonable. Right. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I just am truly curious. It's your podcast. I, I, I am, um, Yes, I do think it's actually similar. What I don't mean is, okay, look, if Donald Trump becomes president of the U.S., obviously he has more power, and obviously at that point it's in it's a power differentiation. It's not about power, though. I'm asking about intent. Oh, you're asking about? Do I think the they same have- sentiment, same hate? Mm. Yes, I think that the intent between those people. Notice, I didn't say Sarah Palin. I think her intent would be different than Donald Trump's, actually. I think that, um, I'm trying to think, like uh, some other GOP candidate who I I think actually wants to, like, murder, like, actually want Muslims, like, shot or rounded up and killed directly. I think that that's actually different. Donald Donald Trump just wants them banned. Yes, and I do think that there's a, a lot of crossover. Um, I do think there's a lot of crossover in rhetoric between those people. I so, think that, um, you know, to the naked eye, but to the inexperienced eye, perhaps, it may seem like he criticizes Islam and Muslims, and they criticize Islam and Muslims, so that's the crossover. And, I mean, I've got liberal Muslim family members who you know, joke with me and say that, oh, because I criticize Islam, I'm like Fox News. And I'm like, you're insane. Like, if you can't see the difference, my intent is not to demonize immigrants. And and neither is Donald, I mean, neither is uh, Dawkins is in my view. Perhaps you view it differently. But uh, I see Donald Trump is clearly having no compassion for immigrants of any kind, let alone, not just Muslims. And just an open bigot. At least he's honest about it. Like he's just, and I respect that honesty. You want to be a bigot? Be honest about it. <laughs> well, see, but I don't think he is honest about it. And I and and or or maybe he is. I don't know. But when he says, as he often says, like, "Well, my Muslim friends thanked me for that comment. They oh, said, yeah, 'Hey, whole, something's on for my thing. yeah, something's going on in our community, and we need to investigate what it is." He said that, and to me, that rings very similar to comments that uh, Harris Harris is actually exceptionally problematic for me in a way that I don't even really like talking about him. Okay, I, let's I, talk about Dawkins. Okay, so we could talk about Dawkins or Bill Maher or whatever, but I, it'll, it's just too much to talk about Sam Harris right <laughs> right now. <laughs> not not even because of his atheism, but there's so many philosophical, logical fallacies. All these kinds of things in his work that like are really bothersome to me. But the, but the, um, but Dawkins, you know, when he says things like, um, that we need to investigate, that we need, we need to sort of investigate the problem of Islam, but then also isn't Islam as a whole just sort of absurd. And I mean, what's wrong with that? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it, except that it's incorporated into an overall critique that I find problematic. An overall critique that says that we are, um, we're sort of missing the boat by defending Muslims, um, by defending uh, Muslim belief systems, all that. There is a, there is a kind of 
gut reaction now to combat Donald Trump, you must uh, def be defensive about Islam and shriek about Islamophobia. The reason I find that term problematic is the fact that it conflates a bigotry towards people with a dislike of an ideology, right? So Islamophobia should actually be Muslimophobia, right. in my view. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's no, that's interesting. Maybe Muslimophobia is actually a much better word for it. I think that that might be a more careful word. Because as an apostate, Islam, you know, has hadiths and stuff commanding that I should be killed. Why? I'd be an idiot not to be phobic of it. Of course, right. I'm going to be terrified of an ideology or dislike an ideology that wants me dead. Why not? There's nothing wrong with me disliking it. And it's not specific to Islam. I dislike Christianity. I just dislike Hinduism. Mm. Uh, I, I have nothing, no personal hate, except for Islam is the one that damaged me most. But anyways, let's get back to Dawkins versus Trump. I think their intents are very different. Dawkins wants to discredit religion. He talks a lot about Christianity, too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like he, sure, he, he misses the mark sometimes when he talks about Islam, but even when he says the simplest things like Islam needs a feminist revolution, people are up in arms like, oh, don't mansplain to me. Yeah. And I'm like, but the entire book is mansplaining to you. That's what religion is. It's mansplaining. Why are you angry at dogs? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Religion, like the holy text themselves is mansplaining. Yeah, Absolutely. That's, that's pretty funny. I mean, I think, I think that... Um, let me just sort of like step back a little bit and say it's not really about Dawkins so much, that tweet, as it is almost about Trump in the sense that I notice a lot of overlap in the things that he says with the things that Dawkins says. So rather than say like, let's get into Dawkins. You might notice that with me too, simply because I will, I will not criticize immigrants or immigration because I'm an immigrant, but I will criticize Islam. And maybe someone on Fox News will say it, but with a different intent, with the intent to demonize immigrants. And my intent is to discredit religion. So yes, but difference. you went, but you went through Islam. <laughs> that that's the that to me is a key difference. When something is woven into at at some point in your life and may have sort of re been released at some point, woven into your identity, you've experienced it, you've interacted with it, you really understand that this is a version of the Islamic Muslim experience, like for real. This is not bullshit. This is not Islamophobia. This is something that really happened to, to people, and I know it, and I'm going to talk about my experiences and what happened. That, to me, is a key difference there. I think so, that uh, Dawkins and Harris and all could do better in terms of speaking up about anti-Muslim bigotry just so that they can uh, get the uh, many anti-Muslim bigots that do hitch on to this kind of critique of religion and Islam. They hitch on to my work too, but right. I have to keep tweeting about how much I hate anti-Muslim bigotry and then they all surface and get mad at me. And then I'm like, well, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, leaves, it leaves you in a very difficult position, I'm sure, because on the one hand, you want to criticize Islam and on the other hand, you need to combat bigotry. Yes. And so you're in a very lonely position, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that is part of the burden of you being who you are. I, I experience my own versions of that in the work that I do. Um, so, And I, I, I'm not saying it's the same, but I experience my own versions of that kind of stuff. And it can be very lonely. And But it, it's easier to do what people do, which is either this bullshit thing, which I think – and, and Mona calls this out all the time, too, where they're like, well, if you just read Islam the right way, like, you just read it the right way, and you will see that, like, all this is untrue, and Islam is a religion of forgiveness, and blah, 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 blah. I don't, as an outsider, agree with that. I would agree that the proper thing to do is say, okay, well, that might have been, the, you know, the correct way to read it then, but we need to start updating this because this is, like, not working for us anymore. And it's not about interpreting it in a pure way. It's about uh, having more compassion, mercy, and freedom. And that's something different, right? That's an update. That's something different. Now, we can get into the merits of that or not, but I'm just opposing that to we need the pure reading of Islam and that will free us because I don't think that that's true. Mm -hmm. um, Mona pointed that out to me, and I agree with her on on that. And I'm grateful that you know I saw her in action, sort of dis dismantling someone's argument. You know, a question from the audience mm -hmm. um, at an event she did. Um, I also think that you know, so so 
we can't we can't take that tact. It's too easy. Like by saying, well, if our religion were just pure, if we just really interpreted it the right way, we also can't take the tact of like maybe you can, but I don't feel comfortable taking the tact of like let's just get rid of Islam, let's just get rid of religion, let's just get rid of. I don't think that that right. Works I've seen either. you oppose the black and whiteness of a lot of atheists, and I think that uh, it's more nuanced than it may appear to be. Uh, I don't think that getting rid of means like let's eradicate it and force people to disbelieve no. let's get right. rid of it by educating people educated yeah. out yeah yeah but uh, and and just quickly i wanted to ask you about the uh criticism of dawkins in terms of science which i find really interesting because many people criticize him for his right. uh, beliefs in uh, or his uh, critique of islam but n i've never heard like people even people who dislike him always say i respect him as a scientist but right. you have criticisms of him <laughs> As a scientist, so I just wanted to get into that quickly before I have to sadly Yeah, run away. I, know, I know you have to go soon. I respect him more as an atheist than I do as a scientist because yeah, it seems like that's his true calling. It's why? Like why really is that? Well, first of all, he has meager experience um, as a scientist compared to other scientists, right? So most people don't understand that. We call him an evolutionary biologist, but he's not a practicing evolutionary biologist. He's basically a talking head. It's like calling Deepak Chopra a doctor. He does not I practice medicine. I saw that medicine. comparison on your Twitter, and I was blown away. Because <laughs> let's just first say what your background in biology is, and sure. then go into it. Sure. So I went to grad school for two things. I went to get my MFA in creative writing. At the same time, though I was not formally admitted into the program, I studied for three years doing organismic and evolutionary biology with Lynn Margulies at the University of Massachusetts. So I did basically three years of coursework um, in that program. Um, and that was made available to me because I could take classes in any department I want. I did more work in that program than I did in my MFA program. <laughs> so just to sort of substantiate, I'm not a scientist. I don't, I would be the first to, I'm the first to admit that I haven't done lab work myself. However, I have a better understanding of science and biology than the lay person, right. you know, did f formal education in it at a graduate level. So, um, what I want, what I want to say is that, a, not I don't know if I can say a majority, but a lot of biologists disagree with the model of evolution that Dawkins has put forward and sort of digs his heels in on. To me, it's not problematic that he has a different view. It's problematic that his view is so popularized because of his continuing to shame uh, and try to discredit, along with some other evolutionary biologists who believe in his theory, these other theories of evolution. What is problematic about that, that clinging leaves evolutionary biology vulnerable um, to fundamentalist critiques, religious fundamentalist critiques, who start finding problems with his ideas. Like, oh, well, there's problems with the fossil record, the DNA record, the blah, 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 right? And so this strengthens the fundamentalist side. This strengthens the Christian dissection of this because he's not allowing other voices in. He's not allowing for other theories of evolution, which are way more, to my mind, and to most, at this point, most evolutionary biologists' minds, way more sound, way more I mean, scientific. I don't know the nuances between different views on the theory of evolution, so I can't comment on that. But what I... You know, you said he has no experience or no lab experience. Like I was yes, speaking some, to yes, some some. Yeah. some biologists about this because you know I anticipated having this discussion with you, yeah. and they're just to get a better understanding of it myself because this was the first time I heard this critique of Dawkins. So I just wanted to un like hear what other biologists had to think of him as a scientist, and yeah. all, they all like said. That, these things. Someone said that he was trained uh, by a Nobel Prize winning um, scientist and he was a lecturer at Oxford. He has a very respectable uh, you know, list of uh, published papers, peer reviewed. Um, and also there was a guy who said one should also consider neither Hawking nor Einstein ever had lab experience either. One thing one of the critical things to remember is that one does not have to be in a lab or on a bench to practice science that would virtually rule out all theoretical physicists and a good number of astronomers. A lot of valuable work in cancer right. research, for example, is being done exclusively computationally.
Well, com computation, computers are lab experience at this point. I mean, I need to point that out. I don't, I don't like whoever you talk to separate those two things. Mm -hmm. Biology, which does use a lot of computation and a lot of models now, um, that, that's all that's fine to me. What I'm talking about is he's largely left that realm. I'm not saying that no one can be smart if they've left the realm, or you know, scientifically smart if they left the round of realm of laboratory work. I myself do not have laboratory experience. No, but you say you say like he's not a real scientist. I mean, don't you think that's maybe I don't, a little unfair? What, I don't buy the credential. I don't buy the credential as a substantiating factor in his worldview about evolution anymore. I think that that's expired. I think it's an expired credential when it comes to evolution. But I to think compare that him to like a charlatan like Deepak no, Chopra? No, no. I, what I'm actually doing really, it, it sort of on the outside of that tweet, is comparing him to people who are tireless, tirelessly working in labs to understand evolution constantly doing the work, moving the field forward while he's trying to plant a stake in the ground and stop it from moving forward. And I see that as actually anti, I see that his views on evolution is actually anti-science at this point because he's holding, I got no impression that he was being, stopping it, but. Um, so, so let me, let me just like throw out for, for listeners who want to investigate this further, because we're not going to be able to get to the bottom yeah, of this. There are great books to look at on this. There's uh, The Paradigm Shifters by Susan Mazur. It has interviews with lots of scientists that disagree with him and that model of evolution. There's uh, Acquiring Genomes by Lynn Margulies and Darian Sagan. There is uh, a book called Evolution, um, which is an anthology by uh, Ruth and Travis, which are like, it's just a huge tome on different views on evolution. And again, I don't object to his theory of evolution being a component, which is random genetic mutation meets natural selection. We can talk about that later. Oh, I can't. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> we can talk about it. I don't object to that being a component, but what he and some of these other people that hold his view do is totalize this vision of evolution, set up, uh, set it against religion to substantiate what they believe in. Um, so the, it, it's a whole big discussion, and we, we actually probably, for me to talk about it in really plain terms, would have to do another podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'd love to do another podcast with you because can we just take a moment to marvel at the fact that we've had, uh, <laughs> you know, a person who does so many things in the adult film industry, and we spent the whole time talking about <laughs> atheism and biology and evolution with you. And it's been like, respectful really and enjoyable. Your sex work advocacy and the other work that you do and how it feels like to be a half Syrian, um, you know, a half Arab uh, adult film star. That's got to have some really interesting stories uh, to it. And I just feel like we could have gone on for hours. I have to run, though. But yeah, yeah. let me let me just say one concluding thing. This should just take. Yeah, me absolutely. Just to join on to that. Listen, everybody that's listening to this, you can. I I don't mind if people who encounter me as a, as a spiritual person in some way think that I'm delusional. That's okay. I mean, I don't love it, but I don't mind, right? What I mind is that I want to be able to have discussions like the one we've had today, right? Maybe there'd be more contentious points than this. Maybe we get into it a little bit more, but I want those kinds of discussions to happen. Mm -hmm. I know that I contribute to those discussions not happening sometimes by being a bombastic jerk on Twitter and just saying all kinds of off-the-cuff ridiculous things that are over the top sometimes. I understand that. We all do that. That's a human impulse, and I don't mind other people doing that. But what I want through those things is for what – you and I did, which is to have that flare up of like ridiculous anger at each other for no reason and then come and have a conversation like this. It's like have the anger, then sit down and break bread and see what happens because I feel like that will go so much further to healing the diseases of our worldviews than anything else. Um, so Absolutely. I think reaching out to people you don't agree with is more important than always speaking to people you agree with because how else do we extend that bridge, right? 100%. Yep. Yeah. So, well, thank you very much, Connor, for giving us your time. And I think that we should chat again. Yes. We this will. time not about atheism and biology, <laughs> but more about sex. 
Okay, all three, all three of us. Let's, let's there we talk go. About, let's talk about sex in our DMs. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it, and then we'll set up a podcast for it. Perfect. Awesome. So, Connor, and, give give folks a, an opportunity to find your you your work, some of the stuff you do on your blog. If you uh, if you want to promote any of your things, please. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the easiest way to find me is just at Connor Habib, C O N N E R H A B I B on Twitter. That links to my blog, which is. Right now, if you just go to ConorHabib.com, it'll reroute you to my blog because I'm redoing that site. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, that's where everything shows up. So Excellent. Yeah. And thank you for your time, Connor. It, this was enlightening. I really appreciated a level-headed, common-sense, com- communal time with you. I really did. I was, I was really excited about this opportunity. Thanks, me too. I promise to lose my shit next time and be a crazy <laughs> <Good>. person. <laughs> well, if everyone can lose their shit and then sit down and talk, I think it's fine. Yes, Everyone totally. does, but... <laughs> they lose their shit and they never find it, so they're yeah. mentally constipated. Yeah, yeah. okay. But thank right. you. One more time, we would like to thank Connor Habib for joining us. It was an interesting, stimulating conversation, and I don't think that that's the last time we're going to hear from Connor Habib here on Polite Conversations. Yeah, we had so much to talk about. I mean, it was barely covered in that, and there's so much still that I'd love to talk to him about. Interesting so, guy. He is. I think we should have him back on. Definitely. And I think, yeah. I think there's some folks that we, uh, we need to say thanks to as well. Yeah, special thanks to the biologist who helped me understand Dawkins from an evolution-slash-biology perspective at Toxic Path, at Dr. Versovian, at Here Be Nabila, and at Godfree World. Thank you so much for taking the time. And do check us out on YouTube while our channel still exists, and keep making noise about our polite conversations. You've been listening to Polite Conversations with Ina and Paul. Thank you for downloading and listening to us. If you'd like to hear more of the show's content, head over to YouTube and find us by searching for Polite Conversations Podcast. You can find the wonderful host, Ina, on Twitter, at NiceMangos. No E in mangoes now. And you can find me, her illustrious co-host, Paul Sading, on Twitter as well, at the Q Podcast or at AAP Podcast Show. You can also reach me on Facebook by heading over to facebook.com forward slash the Q Podcast or facebook.com forward slash Atheist Apocalypse. And last but not least, we would like to thank you for being part of the conversation. If there's something you would like to see discussed or you would like to be part of the conversation, you can contact us at verypoliteconversations at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from each and every one of you. Well, not all of you. You know what we're saying. This is supposed to be polite and all.